A little positivity. Warm greetings, Joymongers. Welcome to this week's episode of Joyfully You Life with Dr. Petrina Clark. This week, I have the distinct pleasure of introducing you to my friend and phenomenal woman, Karima Mariama Arthur. Karima is a leading authority in cutting-edge adult education, and she advises individuals and organizations on the dynamics of leadership development, complex communication, and performance management. She is an accomplished author and highly sought-after national and international speaker. Karima received her Bachelor of Arts in Political Science from the University of California, Davis, and her Juris Doctor from the Roger Williams University School of Law. I could literally go on and on about this incredible woman's many accomplishments. Instead, I'll let her share a bit more about herself over the course of our conversation today. I'll also include a link to her company's website in the show notes, so be sure to check there to learn more about Karima and her company. Karima and I met in 2015 at an event hosted by Walker's Legacy and the National Women's Business Council. As minority women business owners, we were invited to participate in a discussion with White House and congressional leaders on topics of interest and particular concern to minority women business owners. We were seated side by side and made an immediate connection. And I've been inspired by this woman's brilliance, generosity, and consistency in showing up in excellence since the day we met. Karima, welcome to the podcast. Thank you, Petrina. Happy to be here. Yeah. So what do you recall about our first encounter? Well, you had a great big smile and a lot of really great energy, especially because I didn't know anyone in the room besides Natalie, who is a CEO and founder of Walker's Legacy. It was great warmth to sort of start the discussion. And we had a lot of things in common. Yeah. <laughs> so we got talking right away. That was really helpful because like you, at least even in Natalie, I literally knew no one. And I was just so excited to be there and be in the presence of such incredible brilliance. I just found the collection of women in the room to be awesome, amazing, and totally inspiring. And I feel like we don't often get that experience as minority women business owners. And so just to have that many of us in the same room, I was encouraged and inspired. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Well, I'm so glad that we actually had the chance to meet and we have maintained our friendship since that meeting. I shared the email with you where... We reached out immediately after that event and we commented on how rare even that is, like that you would do an actual real-time follow-up. So, right. And I'm someone who absolutely does not believe in coincidences. I think everything happens for a reason. And so I'm grateful for your presence in my life and your accompaniment on my journey. Yes. (laughs) So I wanted to, I know you've done a couple of TEDx talks. One that I really, really appreciated was the one that you did on freedom through entrepreneurship. And so talk to us a little bit about your path to entrepreneurship and any words of advice for those who might be contemplating making that move. Well, yeah, that was an important turning point for me besides just moving. I think the whole idea of moving from law, let me start there, was a scary proposition. I think once you spent your entire career focus on one thing. And the thought of moving away from that just represents the abyss because you don't know what is next and how you can really leverage that. So that talk was an opportunity for me to share my fear 
initial fear around transforming and jumping out of law into something that I found so much more fruitful and useful for me in terms of a profession and being able to talk to other people who are sort of looking at entrepreneurship as a way towards freedom to share my experience and to encourage them to pursue it because a lot of people get stuck and really don't see the utility. And so they just say, forget it and throw it all away. Yeah. So what were some important steps for you in this idea of overcoming fear? (laughs) I don't want to jump that far because I'm actually going into my book. Um, But there are some some principles that I've learned along the way. And the first one is to really trust yourself and to be your own best barometer. I think that for me, understanding that there was so much knowledge that I had gained as an attorney through all the clients that I've worked with and all of my professional experiences, that those experiences could actually translate into a good, a solid good for developing a new business. And a lot of times we forget that, okay, well, if the new profession or the new endeavor won't look exactly like what you've done all your life, then there's no utility in what you've done all your life. But there is where the goldmine is. And so I found that my role as an advisor really primed the pump for everything I do now, dealing with corporations and mentoring and teaching, really laid an important foundation and a critical level of credibility that I wouldn't have had I not gone through my experience as an attorney. Wow, that's awesome. You know, I went to the African-American Black Film Festival in Miami a few years ago, and I had the opportunity to sit in on a workshop that Robert Townsend did. Uh, He was he was hosting a group of aspiring screenwriters, and I am secretly anticipating that one day I'll have a novel and maybe a screenplay. So so there's that other little side interest thing that I have continue to be the queen of a thousand flowers blooming. (laughs) But one thing that Robert said in that session, there were many things he said, but one thing that's really stuck with me is this idea of holding on to your ideas and your dreams until Mm -hmm. they're ready to be shared. Mm. And he described the experience of relaying to his grandmother his desire to be an actor. Mm -hmm. And from her experience, you know, from her her reality, her, her perspective on what was possible. She just couldn't see a situation where her grandson would actually be accepted as an actor and internationally known. Mm -hmm. And he said she was not discouraging. In fact, her words were absolutely perfect, but there was something about the pause when he shared his dream with her that let him know there was doubt there and Mm -hmm. that doubt seeped in. And so the idea was If you have something that you feel is bubbling up from deep within you in terms of purpose, let that mature as though it were an embryo that you were going to birth and wait until full gestation when your baby has a high percentage chance of surviving once the baby's been born. And I thought, yes, timing is so important. So I set that up as the preview to ask because I know you know, your grandmother was a tremendous influence, especially for you in going into law in corporate America and doing those things that we think we need to be, we need to do to be successful. So what was that support network from your family like as you were making this transition from corporate America to going to do your own thing? Yeah, I think that's a great question because I don't think we can ever do anything alone. And anybody who ever says that, you know, unfortunately is not telling the truth. So when I think specifically 
about my grandmother, she was always there. And like I talked about in my talk, her practical wisdom was get an education, go to school and get a good job because that will eventually help you to break the chains that bind. But what she gave me in that advice was a few different critical things. I would say, obviously, education is a way forward. You can do so much. It's not just in whatever degree you get. That's not what the goal is. It's really in what that represents and understanding that you can unlock a number of opportunities. So being learned and continuing to live my life as a lifelong learner was really the foundation for everything that I'm able to do and the collaborations that I see coming in the future. But Also, when she said break the chains that bind, that was one way of breaking a chain, like a chain of ignorance, a chain of Mm. that would enter like lack of opportunity, but to also remember to break all chains that bind. And so for me, anytime I see an obstacle or a challenge or something that could thwart progress, I see it as a chain that needs to be broken. And so now my mind is strategically positioned to remove obstacles to my success because I don't want them binding me from opportunity. And I need to move forward. So family, my family, I think, has always been really supportive. They knew that I valued education and they always knew that I would, you know, do something, quote unquote, and make it. So they've always been supportive. And even in my pivot, they knew that I was onto something that could lead to something greater. So they encouraged me. They pushed me right down to the, you know, my lowest days, right down to the days when I had all of my successes or wins, you might say. So I think they were critical in giving me that, you know, that warm hug that I think all of us need, especially when we're doing something new. Yeah, I love that. You're right. Community is so important. Support is so important. We absolutely cannot do this alone. We're not designed to do it alone. And so I love that you've had that support. I actually want to go ahead and pivot to the book since we teased it already just a little bit. You've written an incredible book, Poised for Excellence. I love it. As you know, I selected it for our chancellor cohort group for the African-American Federal Executive Association developmental program. And the participants loved so much. It was just so practical. So thank you. I'll let you, uh, in your own words, describe what the book does, but I love the approach of giving a concrete principle, expanding on it, and then demonstrating application. And I actually have a favorite, but I'll share mine after I let you talk a little bit about the book, the inspiration, <laughs> and maybe what your your um, favorite principle is, if you can choose sort of a favorite child from the 40. Sure. Well, the book itself Katrina, if you can believe this, it took me about six years to write. It took six years because I had no idea what I was doing. (laughs) (laughs) I always wanted to write a book, you know, ever since I was a little girl. And I thought this would be a magical moment one day, one day, one day. And had all kind of mini manuscripts on different topics sort of sitting around and moving through me through college and, and all of this. And so when I decided to start my endeavor, you know, Wordsmith Rapport, one of my mentors said, hey, you know, because now you're moving into a new topical area, you're going to need to write a book. And I thought, you've got to be crazy. A book, (laughs) a whole book. And so I started very early on, you know, six years before it was ever, ever published, writing what I thought could be a book. And so I sat with that, those words and those chapters and topics for maybe about a year. And, you know, going back and forth, having friends edit it. And then I realized that the book really wasn't the quality of writing that represent what I was actually doing, you know, in the field. And so I had to set it down and kind of reimagine what I needed to do. And so what I thought was, okay, the topic of the book, the framework has to change, but there were some good topics. So I could put that in a new book. So I started again. 
And I sat with one of my editors sort of early in this process just to make sure I was making the right kind of progress. And he told me I was not. (laughs) He said, you know, hey, Karima, I think you're really smart. I think you're a great writer. He said, but this is not going to work. And he said, quite frankly, I don't even know what to tell you, but I can tell you that you need to sit with this and do some more work. So while I was really dejected, I appreciated his candor because I said, it's better for him to say this to me now than the rest of the world to say it to me later, right? Absolutely. So the good thing was that in the meantime, the period when I, which I first started and said, this book isn't going to work. And the second iteration that obviously wasn't going to work, I had been doing a lot of other writing, like smaller writing, a lot of articles. And I thought, wait a minute, I think I need to develop a more practical approach to how I'm writing this book. Let me draw in the topics. Let me be more concise. And when I figured out sort of that framework, I brought it back to him and he said, this is excellent. This is going to work. So I said, great, great, great. Then I started, you know, developing more of the chapters, moving on. And eventually, maybe like six months after that, I got an opportunity from a commercial publisher who said, this is outstanding. I like the way this is written. After that, like everything else was history. So six years though, from that until finally getting it out to the universe. So how did you choose the title? Well, I think that everyone, no matter what they want to do in life has an idea of what success looks like. And if it's up to me as my role as an advisor, I want to make sure that all my clients are positioned or poised for excellence. And so I thought about the principles inside are principles that anyone, if they're willing to commit to the work, can master. And my work is all about self-mastery. And self-mastery is really hard work. (laughs) But if you do the work, It's not really going to be about, I made this perfect path because, you know, perfection is really one of those things out there that's really not achievable. People try to talk about it, but it really isn't something you can access. So if you do your best work, that is excellence. And these principles will help you be positioned for that sort of excellence. And that's how I chose the book. I like Mm -hmm. that. So do you have a favorite principle? Uh, There are a lot of them that are really near and dear to my heart, but I'll just say that get out of your way and stop sabotaging your success is one of my favorite because I just really believe, especially in the work that I do, that a lot of us do things. We do things. It's not even other people that prevent us from doing our best work and prevent us from being our best selves. So we need to remove ourselves out of our way so that we can get to the other side. What do you think is one important way based on your work and and your depth of client experience that people get in their way most often? And and what can they do about it? What would you say to someone? Well, I think not thinking you're good enough mm-hmm. for whatever the opportunity that presents itself could be. It could be a relationship. It could be a professional opportunity. And it's really, again, appreciating the beauty and the wonder and the talent that you have as an individual and holding on to that in spite of anything or anyone that might counter that idea. You have to learn to harness who you are within yourself and hold that as, you know, a bond, (laughs) if you will, and use that as your way to navigate uncertainty. Yeah, I like that. So my favorite principle in the book is say no and own it. (laughs) I, Laferne and I talked a little bit about this during her, her episode on the podcast and I think sometimes as women, we feel like we have to have all this context for the no. And I like to remind people that no is absolutely a complete sentence and a full response to a request sometimes. 
Uh-huh. And you don't have to feel badly about it. You don't have to be nasty, but it's okay to just say no and fully own the no. I know that that concept's a little bit more expanded in the book. And mm-hmm. I, I like the way that you expanded it out to include, and the focus of the book, I should just remind folks, is leadership, how to be a better, more effective, more human leader. I think the thing that I appreciated most about it was this mm-hmm. focus on you know, really underscoring the humanity of both the leader and the individuals that we're charged with leading. So, but I really like that, say no and own it. Mm-hmm. <laughs> All right. So you work in the community. I'm a big believer that our greatest joy comes from being of service to others and being in service. And I know you have a lot of work that you're doing in the community. Can you talk a little bit about how you're serving and how you chose or choose your causes? Yeah, I think it's always important to give back. And I love working specifically with young people, women, women of color, because we share a lot of common goods, common struggles. And I think that it's important to share how you got over so that people don't have to make the same mistakes. I like to cut that time off. A lot of mentors and advisors have done that for me. And I love the possibility of doing that for other people. And so any opportunity that I get to sort of serve in that role, I'm I'm open to that. You know, I know we're all busy, but I think, you know, we can always take a little bit of time to do that. And I think it's just important because you never know, you know, what advice you give, what time you spend can really transform someone's life. I remember getting a note from one of my mentors who told me they were specifically in DC and had come from another location to do an internship and said that DC can be a pretty wild place and kind of scary. But if they hadn't had some of the tools that I had given them, they don't know if they would have made it through. And I'll never forget that because we've all been there. I've been in situations where I'm like, oh God, (laughs) where is my rope? Um, And someone's thrown that down to me. And I'm like, my God, my God, you know, without that, I don't know where I would be. And so that's something that's always front and center for me and giving back. Wonderful. Can you share a little bit about the Women's Global Leadership Initiative? Yeah, I joined that endeavor, I guess, about five or six years ago, and The purpose of the organization is really providing leadership opportunities for women all around the globe, you know, here, right here in the United States and outside of it. The founder had done a lot of work in various countries where women did not have opportunities. And I think that was her inspiration for sort of expanding it, because we know, again, right here in our own backyard, a lot of that is going on. It may look a little differently, but it's still going on. And so I was brought in to head their advisory board to bring in other women from around the globe to sort of deal with some of those issues, bring their expertise and their voices and mentor, you know, in that capacity as well. Okay, wonderful. So what do you think has been sort of a key observation about common struggles in terms of women internationally, globally? I'm a big believer in this idea that, you know, we're global citizens. We sometimes have a somewhat myopic or narrow focus, but when we I find that when we expand our focus to be broader and more inclusive, we open up infinitely more possibilities to the already infinite number of possibilities available to us. So any kind of common theme or thread about the struggle of aspiring women, aspiring female leaders? There's so many, but one that always seems to jump right out is having the courage to raise their voices. Mm-hmm. And I don't care what it is, if it's about an injustice done to them or a community in, in particular, to raise their hand <laughs> in a boardroom where most of the people don't look like them 
where the ideas may be different than them. There's been a lot of research done on this area, but the practicality of it is that we often don't have the courage and or the confidence to raise our voices when we need to. And so that also is an area where I spend some of my time in my work just helping women to elevate their voices in whatever context that they deem is necessary for them to raise it. Awesome. All right. So Karima, you have taken being a wine lover to an entirely new level. (laughs) So talk to us a little bit about that journey and your inspiration for becoming a wine professional. Well, that's interesting because that actually came before I started Wordsmith Report. I was wondering or wandering rather (laughs) in the wilderness of entrepreneurism. And I thought, well, what do I love and what do I want to do? And, you know, ultimately what will bring me an income? And so I had been investment selling for maybe 10 years in that point where I was sort of deciding. And I said, well, there are not a lot of women, there are not a lot of Black women who are in this profession. And so since I love it, maybe I should just take a look at it. And so as a result, I started working at a winery here in Virginia. I worked there for a few years, did some harvest tasting, observed some of the winemakers do their process so I could really get a bird's eye view. I started writing for Zane Lamprey. You may have uh, remembered him from Food Network and Three Sheets to the Wind. Yep. So I started writing for him and also getting clients in the wine industry who would send me their product to rate and to write about. And then eventually I went and got credentials from the Court of Master Sommelier and, and Wine and Spirits Education Trust. So it was an interesting few years before I came ultimately upon Wordsmith Rapport. And while it's still something that I, you know, spend some time and focus on, it was interesting how it sort of shifted between what my primary focus is now. But I met some of the most interesting people and I've continued to develop some extraordinary relationships like with so many wine directors in DC. <laughs> when I go out you know, for foodie dinners and stuff, it's just an extraordinary sort of way to look at the world, to bring people together and to sort of pair your interests while you're pairing your food. <laughs> yeah, I, I did not know this about you. And so I thought to myself, oh my God, how many times have I suggested some substandard subpar wine and Karima would be too kind to say anything. <laughs> we have to go when, when the world opens up, we'll have to go do some of that more together. I will look forward to that. Definitely. So you probably anticipated there would be at least one question about joy today. What's mm-hmm. bringing joy to your life these days? You know, strangely, actually being able to be one with myself. I mean, all of us have been sort of captive. We've been our own captive audience. And I don't think that I've ever thought more about the idea of metacognition (laughs) than I've thought about it now, like in the last, you know, 13 months. And I am so grateful for this opportunity to sit with myself, to sit with my life, to understand some things that I like, better ways to take care of myself and to bring myself joy through that process. And that's been really important and it will stay with me, you know, post-pandemic. That is so awesome. So what's your best advice for how to experience more joy more often? Do what makes you happy and make it a priority. Yeah, I think that's great advice. I think it's remarkably simple and yet sometimes it seems so elusive, right? Yeah, we don't do it enough. Yeah. All right. Well, my friend, I hope you are continuing to stay safe and well during the pandemic. As usual, I have so enjoyed spending time with you. I appreciate your being so generous with your time, insights, and energy today. And you've just been a fantastic guest. Any parting words for our listeners? Goodness. 
I think I'll just echo my comments for the last question, because I would hope that in the midst of everything that's going on, and there's a lot going on, that we take the time to take care of ourselves, to find joy, and in doing so, reflect that joy back to the other people who are most important in our life. We deserve that. Yes, we do. Well, thank you again so much, Karima. And I want to thank each of you for listening. Until next week, continue to be joyfully you, full of joy, fully you. I'm